Welcome and thanks for joining us. My name is Sam Anwar Sesha, Director of the Museum of Colour and your host for this series, My Words Donations. As part of the My Words exhibition at the Museum of Colour, we have invited a number of poets to donate objects to our digital collection. These are items that have a real significance to them and their creative journeys. This series is a chance to hear the stories behind those donations. And coming up, we'll be talking with John Lyons. My name is John Lyons, and uh, I'm a painter and a poet and a writer. See, that's what I say, I am a writer. I only discovered that by going through my archive and realised I have written quite a bit. <laughs> or, you know, not poems, but critical essays and things. So that's what I am. Now, thinking specifically about your poetry, because mm. you do write in other ways, how mm. would you describe your work? Well, I would describe my work as um, half discovery and half method, if you like, of writing. Because what I do first is that I, I have an idea. I've got loads and loads of notebooks. It doesn't matter where I am, whether I'm on a train, whether I'm, you know, wherever I am, I have my notebook with me. And if I see something or somebody says something, I note it. That's an idea for the poem. And then what I do, I do several drafts. I do a first draft, and that's a very interesting thing to do because you don't stop to criticise your work or to take things away. You just put it down. So you're allowing the intuition and the emotions and the feelings to come out. Once you've done that, then you the fun begins because that's when you start whittling down. You start shaping it. And sometimes it's very difficult because some of the insights that I get, they've got a spiritual nature, right? And they go beneath the surface. And those are very, very difficult to actually to describe because you have to describe it in a way that is not didactic. You're not preaching to anybody. And you have to allow the person reading it to discover what is behind it. Now, that's a formidable task. So you have to know what you're doing. You have to, so if I take several edits, if you like, and I have to say something, I've published eight collections, but the ninth one, I withdrew once from the publisher because I had the mistake of looking at it after about a year and think, oh my Gideon, what's wrong with this? You know, the bits of it that are wonderful and bits of it, oh, I could do better than this. So you see, so you have to always be on the lookout for sharpening things up in a way that is quite simple, not literary and laboured, but it's there for the person to discover. And that is the thing. That's how I describe my writing, basically. And uh, what I find myself doing, I'm doing it on even I write emails sometimes, you know. So yeah. I'm sort of thinking, is that correct? Should I, should I put a comma here or should I use a colon or semicolon or whatever? So it's, it's, a, it's a habit, really. And it's a good one to have. And that's how I describe being a poet. When people say, what do you do? You write? No, I write poetry, but I am being a poet because I'm using all my poetic sensibilities in my engagement with everything around me. People, the place I am, what I hear, what I smell, what I taste. It's all part of it. So it's a rich world. And this is why I can't just stop doing it. <laughs> because you know, I have to remain alive, haven't I? <laughs> Most definitely. That's a that's a fantastic thought. And interestingly, I know you are also a painter. And when you were describing the process, I got this picture of you sort of whittling away like a sculptor. 
in a sense. And I know that it is editing. We know what that is. I I have a very visual sense of you whittling away at the work for it to take the form and the shape that that you want it to. So another question for you. When did you know yourself to be a poet? Oh, my gosh. Well, I don't know, but, but that's a very difficult question. But but I, I have to say that it came much, much later because what I did after my mum died, I was nine years of age, and I had to go into, to live with, from a city and to go into Tobago, a very rural surroundings. Where my aunt, she was powerful back woman. She was really <laughs> so part of a bit of mixed race in here somewhere. And um, I lived there. And my aunt was a teacher and also both mutual doing music and she read a lot and my cousin and I we borrowed her library book and went into the library and bought books so I actually started reading novels and stories very early at the age of about 10 I was picking up books like Quentin Durward and Sir Walter Scott and I was reading them and I read a lot a lot a lot and it might have been a way of dealing with grief I don't know but I read so much that eventually I wanted to write my own stories and so on. But also the other aspect of that is I was able to live a life in the forests. I used to tie the animals up like the goat and the sheep. And I became very, very sensitive to that sort of environment. And what I was seeing, I was able to put into words later on, if you like. So it must have started subliminally being a poet. And I didn't know that. I discovered myself as a poet afterwards. And I remember trying to write poetry after I've been reading people like Percy Bishop Shelley and uh, the other romantic guy with a club foot, what his name is, Byron. And I started writing and um, it was very much, I don't know, I didn't know what I was doing or just more or less imitating using my own experience. When I came to Goldsmiths College and I showed my poems to my colleagues, they used to laugh to me to scorn. They said to me, this is old stuff. That used to write like the Romantic era. It's not modern at all. But I still carried on. I did it for joy. I did it not to publication. I didn't do it to, for aggrandizement or to make myself known or anything like that. I just love words. Love the way words come together. Love the music in words. Can I ask you, when you were sharing your poems at Goldsmiths and people were saying, oh, that's not modern, that's, you know, whatever, that's romantic poetry or whatever... Did you feel yourself to be a poet then? Or did that criticism affect you in any way? No, I didn't feel myself as a poet then. But what it did to me was to say, okay, review what I'm writing, right? But what pushed me, actually, is that James Berry winning that National Poetry Competition. Because I then started looking at I said, wait a minute, he's a poet and he's won this... So I started looking at what I'd been writing. And that's how I started. I didn't even call myself a poet then. I called myself a poet when I got commended in the same national poetry competition and was included in the anthology. I said, oh, well, my gosh, I must be a poet then if I'm included in a national anthology, you know. And um, so I carried on writing. And it became stronger and stronger. And people began to appreciate what I'd written. You mentioned James Berry. And for listeners who don't know, who who was James Berry? Well, James Berry was a Jamaican poet. And uh, I got to know him through John Agard and a group of people that I knew who were all poets. And I got to know him then. And he's written poems that I've read. 
So I knew of him as a poet, but I didn't really, really know a lot about him until I got this shock of this black person winning the National Poetry Competition. He used to call me, he, whenever he met me, he used to say, I'm the good-looking one. <laughs> he's always said, I'm the good-looking one. But he was very jolly and he was very good to me, you know, so I got to know him quite well. And Jim's very, I respected a lot. He had a good manner and a good attitude. He was a gentleman, really, Oh, I knew him. He was, a, he was a lovely man. And for listeners, we lost James Berry in 2017, but we most definitely have him in the exhibition. So, OK, let's talk about museums. So we've asked you to donate two objects to the Museum of Colour. But what is your relationship with museums? Well, I mean, see, museums are important because, in fact, they do have artefacts, objects that are imbued with history. And it's a place where you can go, where you can learn by practice, by looking, by being there. And, you know, I think this is important. No one's telling you. You can go by your own, by yourself, and you know what you want to look at. Even if you don't know what you want to look at, you'll see things that are curious, that arouse your curiosity, and you'll want to know more. So museums are important, and they're part of our history, really. Okay, so how does it feel to now be in one? In a way, I'm honoured, actually, that you should, you should ask me to put something in a museum of colour. You know, I'm very pleased about it because, in fact, always, if you're involved in some art form or the other, the one thing I used to say, a lot of people from my part of the world used to say, or black people used to say, that we are not written down in history or whatever is written down in history is always negative. Most of it is, anyway. And there's a lot of hidden ones yet to come out. And this is the reason why museums sometimes are important. And why why should I want to be in one? Well, because people long after my great-children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, people will be able to see it. In fact, they're so proud of what I've done so far. I always remember that if you think of a moving, a temporal museum, if you like, as a gallery, when I got my paintings in, in say, Britain, oh my gosh, they all came and they were... That, Oh, they were so happy. They would say, oh, granddad, you know, and sort of. So that's to tell you. So their children, when they grow up, they should be say, your great-granddad was that. Your great-great-granddad is this. And that will give them a sense of importance, a sense of identity, a sense of who they were or who they are and who their granddad and where they come from. And that's very, very important. That's something, again, that I would like to stress, you know. So now we're moving on to your donations. So tell us about your first donation. What I want to know is what does it mean to you and why do you want to share it? My first donation is Lure of the Cascadura. That is the very first book that I published. It was published in 1989 and was inspired by my experience with James Berry and what he did. And also by having been commended in the National Portugal uh, myself. So I thought, okay, that's when I realized, as I said, I, oh, I must be a poet. So I decided, okay, I'll put all those things I've been writing together. And that book was published in 1989 by Per And that's my very, very first publication. I met Jessica Hunt, Huntley and Eric, uh, and they were very genuine people, and they loved what I was doing. You know, so right away, a sense of identity started there. Because all the poems in that book is about where I came from. It's the folklore, the legends, the superstitions, and all that, the habits we had. It's all about that. I wouldn't say it was a sort of um, nostalgic 
thing of coping with prejudice. It wasn't that. For me, it became a, an expression of um, where I came from, basically, of joy. It was celebratory. And, um, and it's, it's an important book for that reason. This is why I thought I'll donate that book, because it really got me started. And the other thing is, of course, as a first book, I had just left a job as a lecturer of design and visual arts and design. So, so that's, again, is another reason. It marked the juncture of my teaching, you know, the end of my teaching for 27 years, officially, and going into professionally working as a poet. And I, you know what? I submitted that book. You know what I got for, for it? What? As an award for that book by Arts Council? £5,000. Ah. Woohoo! So there you are. in those days, that was a lot of money. Oh, most, listen, it's a lot of money now, quite frankly. But it's really interesting. And just for listeners, there is a Museum of Colour continuity here because Jessica and Eric Huntley are in the museum in our first exhibition, People of Letters, for those who supported writers of colour, which, as you were hearing through John, they most definitely did. Through Bogle Overture, they published a lot of writers who were struggling to find publication anywhere else. So thank you yeah, for yeah. Let's move on now to your second donation. What's the second thing that you're donating to the museum? That was the Windrush Arts Achievement Award in 2003 that I was given. Well, the award came about as a result of a, a lot of experience I had teaching and doing workshops and exhibitions and also being invited to come on to uh, committees that deal with arts. When I left teaching, as a, well, retired from teaching, as an art lecturer, I just said to everybody, I'm now free to do things. So I got invited to be on the Signature Books Board. I would even do a bit of On Mind a bit. I was also purchasing for the Arts Council. You know, I did a lot of stuff like that. The other thing I was looking, I was always looking for, subliminally, looking for a gallery. <laughs> because I was when I moved, I was also looking, I want a studio, must find a studio. I didn't know, I only discovered that afterwards. So when Jeannie, the person who's now my wife, we were together. By that time, I, was, I went to West Yorkshire, living in Hebden Bridge. And I just said, I need to have a studio, I need to work. So we went looking for a studio. I said, I know of somewhere we could go. And where we went, it was lovely because it was an upstairs place. It was large enough to be a gallery. It, was a little, it, was, it even had a kitchen. They had a little office at the back and a space that I could use as a studio. So I thought we call it the Hourglass Studio Gallery. But that is a very important move, because although we did it for nine years, right? We lost our funding after nine years. But that is all. That that is part of the story of why they gave me this award. We worked seven days a week. I run four different courses, Children Arts Club in the Saturday morning. I did life drawing. I did also watercolor for retired people. And we had a creative writing course. But before I had the creative writing courses, because I was on the committee at the Lombard Tattoo Center in Hepton's Tall Arvon Foundation, you must have heard about that one. I was on their committee and also working for them from time to time as a, as a tutor. So I said to them, do you mind if I run a course at the Lombard? He said, come on, John, you can, yeah, it's all right, we don't mind. So I ran workshops with people, people from the community. So we were very, very busy. And during the nine years in that studio gallery, I only exhibited my work twice. No more than that. So, but it was all for other artists and for other people. And guess what? I paid for that for a long, long time with money I earned from reading poetry, 
from doing workshops and for my pension, and I paid for it all until I almost was bankrupt. And somebody at the Allen Foundation said to me when I went to one of the meetings, are you all right, John? Because they must have seen my face. I said, no, I'm not. I'm near bankruptcy. And he said to me, for somebody like you, this is what you must do. And if, I can't even remember the name of the people now, but some royal something, something literature. And um, they came to see me and they were, couldn't believe a small guy what we were doing. So I got 13,000 pounds to tide me over. Not only that, because of the educational part of it, we call it HEADS, Hourglass Educational Arts Development Services, spell HEADS. And that educational branch eventually got charity awards. So we'd be able to get funding. So all of that story was, is built into the donation. This is actually Windrush Arts Achieve Award because I didn't know Jean was doing this. Because before that, I had a, a very busy, busy life doing all sorts of things. But well, she would keep asking me questions from time to time. And I said, but why is she asking me all these questions? And one day, she got a letter came, and she moved to the other part of the studio, away from me. And then she started dancing and holding the thing up. And I said, what, what's, what's happening? She said, well, you've been shortlisted for the award. I said, wow, that's great. I could put that on my CV, you know, shortlisted. Mm-hmm. So she'll be also invited to go to the ceremony. So when I went to that ceremony, towards the end, a lot of people went before different things. And they said, I know for the Arts Award, John Lyons, I, oh my gosh, I couldn't believe it. I was stunned. And I, I do not remember leaving that table with all the food. And it was in one of those big hotels. Mm-hmm. With all that food. I can't remember what happened between leaving the table and going up. All I remember saying, I can't believe this. I can't wow. believe this. And the person who gave me the word said, you better believe this is yours. You better go and make your speech. <laughs> but also, I have to say, I was then invited to be part of the next one to judge, basically, and also invited to it. So we went to that. And somebody, one of the judges, came up to me and Jeannie and said, did you write that? I said, no, my wife, Jeannie, she's written it. He said, it's one of the best ones they've ever seen. Wow. And she's written all the stuff that I'd done before I met her, all the stuff I've been doing and what we've been doing. So that is that is my story about that. And the reason why is because I believe deeply I am best with the talent for writing and painting. But I don't it's not for me. You have to share what you've got. And um so in such a way that even when I have exhibitions, I, I have a statement I say, this is creative continuum. Because people are looking at my work and being interested in making up their own little stories, engaging with it, even if they don't like it, at least they engage with it. And that's part of the continuation of the creative process. And that's sharing, isn't it? Creative continuum. That's so beautiful. That's exactly what it is. And also when you talk about what you did, that you just Mm. did because you could. Mm. And you made yourself available in so many different ways. And I'm really grateful that you had Jeannie documenting everything that you were doing so that people knew and people Absolutely. would know yeah, yeah, what you yeah. did and how long you did it for and the way yeah, that you did yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, John. So what is the poem that you're donating and why? Well, the poem, I think, was mainly the first one. You know, I, I run the order differently. The first one was a poem because you said you must have a poem. And in that Love the Cascadero, there's a poem called Island Muse. I use the experience of Trinidad and Tobago with all this legend and folklore as my muse to write that poem. And the poem is begins with, I come with my pen from 
that is um that's the donation that's the donation because it says a lot about and people who are from that background the elderly ones will be looking back who might have lived Trinidad so oh, yeah i remember that oh yes i remember we used to say that or we used to do that or I re- oh i remember about shango shango tents you know and so on it brought, i brought my great grandmother into it because she brought me up and she was yoruba so she was very keen on shango so i went about twice to shango and he just scared her. Just scared the daylights out of me because of the you know, those trances and the drumming that you felt in your gut. The drumming was continuous, you know. And I tell you, that is what helped me to, you know, when everyone was upset and getting angry about prejudice and all the rest of it, I used to go, I didn't feel like that. I used to go home and cry, basically, more or less. I was this sensitive type. I, used, I didn't want to beat, beat somebody up or anything. I used to go home and, and cry, basically, and get depressed. But that writing about that actually was a great help to me because it told me where I came from. It gave me a sense of identity. I wanted to share it as well. This is why I went into teaching and also never stopped painting or writing. And that's a beautiful thing that you touch on there where you talk about how different people deal with prejudice differently. So some people absolutely would get angry. Some people would potentially want to get physical. But some people, like you're saying, it made you sad. It made you want to cry. It made yeah, upset. you depressed yeah. and upset. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's important for us to understand that things affect us differently. We are different people. And I think it's beautiful of you to share that that's how it affected you. But then you found a way and you chose to write. But I have to tell you something else, too. I have to say something. This is very important, which I didn't tell you. But I remember not being able to pay my fees, walking to college because I couldn't afford bus fares, having nothing to eat. And one day, the registrar, she's a short, plump lady, white lady with blonde hair, lovely cheeks, rosy cheeks. She called me in. You know, she could have been my grandmother. She called me in and she says, John, you haven't paid any fees. What's your problem? And I said, well, I'm sorry. I got disappointed for money from home and I had to pay my way for the next four years. So she said to me, right, what you must do is pay this amount of money every When you have a holiday, make sure you actually come in, you get paid, coming and pay this amount bit by bit. Oh, she worked it all off for me. Now, and then I got eventually a semi-permanent job at the hospital as a porter. That's another experience. The other thing that helped me a lot were the group that I was with, about three of them have died already. But they bought my lunch. They all took turns. Every day, one of them will buy my lunch for me for that term. Now, if you have that experience at the college and you go outside and somebody spat on the ground as you walk past or tell you, turn the back on you, call your names, what do you do? I mean, say there's a balance there, isn't it? Because you begin to recognize people's hearts and people's goodwill. So that is really why I got upset, basically, because... I find we're all human. And some people, uh, I don't know, out of ignorance or whatever, they will show prejudice. And others will be, you know, not like that. So and that's how it was with me. And that's how I still feel anyway. All that type of, um, what I'm telling you, has influenced my work, basically. Okay, John, I think it's time for us to hear the poem that you are going to donate. The name of the poem is Alan Muse. And it's published by Bogle Overture in 1989 Island Muse I come with my pen from Baptist shouters 
candles burning on the edge of darkness at the side of the road in limbo where repentance sings in hallelujahs in amens in the clapping harmony of hymns i come with my pen from the drum drum drumming shango rhythms in the tent of dancing sacrifices in the pulsing blood squirts of cocks hearts from the drum drum drumming on kalbash covered chicken drumming away death with yoruba magic i come with my pen walking in the middle of the jumbi midnight road hair standing up heart big in mouth clinging to all oh, fathers lord is my shepherd avoiding dubious pools avoiding obia bigfoot smelling kakajab walking backwards front through front door i come with my pen from where the jumbe buds at midday hoot 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 from sandbox tree and a dog wailing death song sat the last breath of the ailing crapo hopping into drawing room mirrors cracking suddenly wind coming from nowhere blows out pitchoy lamps and blessed candles i come with my pen from cool green forest where papa bois bearded with vines protects the gutty lap and quank where macawell like fallen down tree trunk sleeps with belly full of cow where mapipi zanana strikes the deer chasing dog while seagulls trill for rain I come with my pen from where the wily dwens kidnappers of kiddies on the full moon faceless walking forward backwards into bush from where mama maladies a naked baby on the midnight street lamp whimpering la diablesse hiding her cow foot on the wide french petticoat soupunya and lugaru balls of fire brightening rooftops before the sucking feasts i come with my pen long years and islands hauntings from where my navel string tree still grows thank you to john lyons for being part of our exhibition and donating to the museum of color To view the donations photographed by Sharon Wallace and the portraits by Derek Akembo, head to www.museumofcolor.org.uk, where you can explore the rest of the My Words exhibition and discover our growing digital collection. My Words donations is presented by me, Samuel Sasher, and is produced by Stella Sabin for the Museum of Color. Further episodes of this series are available across all podcast platforms where you can also listen to our previous project Respect Duke. The music you have heard in this series is by the fabulous Randolph Matthews. You can listen to more of his work at www.randolphmatthews.com. My words is supported by the National Lottery Heritage Fund, Arts Council England and the Foyle Foundation. Museum of Color is incubated at People's Palace Projects based at Queen Mary University London. Thank you for listening. <laughs>